Sorry, I missed handshake day. <laughs> I, um, I always try to apply the passage before I preach it. Today's sermon's on Matthew chapter 5, verse 29 to 30. Now, if your right eye is causing you to sin, tear it out and throw it away from you. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand is causing you to sin, cut it off and throw it away from you. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. If you haven't been with us, we've been preaching through the life and ministry of Jesus, His teaching. We're on the Sermon on the Mount. We call it a Mount of a Sermon. It's the most famous, most popular sermon in the world in all history. And it really gives you a bedrock and foundation. What did Jesus teach? What did He preach? And what is He preaching about here in verses 29 to 30? Is Jesus really teaching us that Self-mutilation and amputation is the way to follow him? Well, no, he's not, and I'm actually really grateful to God for that. And I'm grateful for the kind of pastors we have on our staff who had a hay hook ready for me. I'm really glad I have my right eye still. You know, when Jesus preached, he didn't pull any punches but he also didn't pull love either. He gave it. There's a lot in this passage that God desires for you to really hear, to hear in your heart, to know, to know that God's desire for you is the abundant life, a true life of true joy with eternal rewards. And all it comes down to is our faith. Faith asking, what are you willing to do to have the life that God has planned for you, that God desires for you, that God promises you? What would you be willing to do to follow Jesus? What would you be willing to do? It made me think of uh, the late Kobe Bryant. I recently saw an interview of him. If you don't know, Kobe Bryant's a basketball player, very famous, really talented basketball player who died in a helicopter crash not too long ago. And he was in an interview where he was talking about how he trained. And talking to the interviewer, he told him, I decided I need to wake up before 5 a.m. every day to train. Because all these other dudes, these other NBA players, some of the best basketball players in the world, they don't start training till right before lunch. They train, then they eat lunch, then they rest, then they train again, then they eat dinner and they go home. They only train about two times a day. And so because he wanted to be the greatest basketball player, he wanted to be the best he could be, he would train four times a day. He'd get up before 5 o'clock so he could train, rest, eat, train, rest, eat, train, rest, eat, train. And he would train from morning till night on his training days. And he, at basketball games, at NBA games, the other players were known for saying, why is Kobe out there on the court? He would start practice before they would, and he would end after they would, on purpose. Because he wanted to prove to them, I'm willing to work harder than you to be good at this game. 
That was Kobe Bryant. And it made me question, what am I willing to do? What would I be willing to do to truly follow Jesus and have everything that he wanted me to have, to follow him everywhere he wanted me to go, to do everything he had for me to do? What would I be willing to do? Last week, we looked at the truth about our sin. We looked at adultery and the eye and gazing. We talked about the battle for purity. Uh, I actually, you know, I used the theme of corn that I obviously was talking about something else. Not everybody got that. There were a few farmers out there that you thought I hated corn. I don't hate corn. I'm glad prices are up on corn, and you should be proud that I know that. I know that prices are good. It's better right now. I'm not against corn. I'm all, I'm, I was talking about the battle for purity, what we look at. And we, we, we thought about how sin starts in the heart, but it should draw us to our knees. And I pray and I hoped I hope that you guys would go home last week and you would spend the whole week asking God, where is my focus? What am I looking at? What's in my life? Is there, is there adultery and idolatry in my life? I hope, as Pastor Kyle said, that godly sorrow would lead to repentance. And the rest of Jesus' sermon really isn't that different. But today, we're going to look at some of the practical steps that he sprinkled in there. Now, Jesus doesn't always do this, and he doesn't have to do this. Not every sermon needs to be clean cut. Here's three steps or five steps to a better whatever. That's not the intention for everything Jesus preached. But in this sermon, he actually gives us three steps, three very practical, clear, obvious from the text, what he preached, three steps to battling against sin, the hindrances and temptations in our lives. And so I just want to work through these two verses and look at them. They're they're quite simple. The first one, look at uh, verse 29. Now, if your right eye is causing you to sin, and he begins with this if. If your right eye is causing you to sin, and the question that he's trying to bring in your mind is, what is causing you to sin? Find it out. That's his first point. He's not really talking about your eye and your hand about cutting it off. You know, Jesus used the eye and the hand allegorically. But the reason why he used the eye and the hand is because the eye and the hand are precious to us. They're valuable to us. And so Jesus uses these allegories. He uses these to symbolize whatever is in your life, if it's causing you to sin, that phrase is his first point, causing you to sin. What is causing you to sin? Find it out. He preaches on the same topic in Mark chapter 9, verses 43 to 47. I'll just read some of the words that he used in that sermon. It's same content, just said a little differently. You know, he preached all over Galilean region, and he preached at different synagogues. So he told them, and if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. And if your foot is causing you to sin, Cut it off. And if your eye is causing you to sin, throw it away. So he uses the hand, the eye, and the foot to really symbolize uh, like your, your hand, if your hand causes you to sin. What are you doing? What are you doing with your hands, this agricultural culture? So it should make us think, you know, what do I do with my life, with my hands, my work, my, my days? What do I do with them? What, what, is my, what are my actions? What am I doing? If it's causing you to sin, cut it off. So what is causing you to sin? And your foot, ask yourself, where do I go? Where am I going? Where do I spend my time? 
Where do I go? Now, for some of you, this is pretty explicit. And maybe you have some secret things going on that you go to the wrong place on a weekly, monthly, who knows how often. Where are you going? Where are your feet taking you? If it's causing you to sin, cut it off. So he's asking you, what is causing you to sin? And then he uses the eye. What are you looking at? What are you doing? Where are you going? What are you looking at? If it's causing you to sin, get it out. Get it out of your life. We, we looked at last week at what you look at, the battle for purity, about pornography. So any of these three ways, they could be causing you to sin. But if you look at the Bible as a whole, specifically in the New Testament, there are two different categories for sin. There's two different kinds of sins. There's sins of omission and there's sins of commission. You've probably heard this. I've learned this from others. So there's sins of omission. That's when you don't do what God wants you to do. So what is sin? Sin is just anything that goes against God. It's either doing something you should not do, that is sins of commission where you cooperate, you actually are active in sinning, and there are sins of omission where you don't do what you're supposed to do. Most people know this, that's sin, but do you know that there are two different words used for those different kinds of drawing you to sin? In the New Testament, there are two words that the Bible uses. There are hindrances and temptations. There are hindrances in your life and there are temptations. Hindrances are described not as sinful in themselves and it's not sinful for everybody, but there are hindrances in our lives. These weights that weigh us down, they, they keep us weighed down. Hindrances lead to sins of omission. They're not sinful in themselves and they're not sinful for everybody, but here's the key. They keep you from loving God with all your heart, soul, strength, all your mind, it keeps you from following God. So here's some examples. Video games. You know, the next generation coming up, especially the guys trying to figure out what to do, unless you live on a farm and you do stuff all day, which is how we should live probably, a lot of young men love video games. They're constantly into video games. Now, video games in themselves are not a sin. Some are. Some are wicked and evil and they're immoral and they just are sinful in themselves. There's some, I could tell you, a number of games that are just immoral and horrible. And some of them are very popular, some of the most popular games in the world. But video games in themselves are not sins, they're hindrances. They become sinful when it becomes an idol or a hindrance, a weight in your life. Those are hindrances and those lead you to sins of omission. They keep you from doing what you ought to do, like praying and reading the Bible and, and other things that God has called you to do. There's also trucks. Trucks are not sinful. Trucks are not bad. I mentioned truck lust last week. And I'm not against, trucks are not sinful, but they can be. It can become an idol in your life. It can become a distraction. It can become a weight. Like imagine that someone's going to go on a marathon. They have the really cool, expensive light shoes that you could run in. They got the shorts and the shirt. And then someone puts a 200-pound pack on their back. Now, are they going to be able to run that marathon the same? No. It's going to weigh them down. It's going to stop them. It's going to hinder them. Hindrances. What are the hindrances in your life? Maybe it's not video games or trucks, but what is it? It could be money. Money is not sinful in itself. Nothing wrong with money, but it can become a sin in your life. It can weigh you down. It can distract you. It could become an idol. What are the hindrances in your life? TV. 
Some of you watch too much TV. Is TV a sin in itself? No. Has any of you ever seen the, uh, the Chosen series? So good, right? I love that TV show. TV is not a sin in itself, but for a lot of you, you watch too much news or you watch too much TV, and it weighs you down. It keeps you from praying with your spouse. It keeps you from talking with your kids. It keeps you from praying, period. It keeps you from reading the Bible. It keeps you from memorizing scripture. It keeps you from waking up early enough to spend time with the Lord. It keeps you from being a witness that God wants you to be. It's not a sin in itself. It's a hindrance. And those lead to sins of omission where you don't do what you ought to do. Could be social media. For some of us, especially guys, it's overworking. We love overworking. Make work your idol. You'll get paid for it. People hardly ever, ever discourage you for overworking. You normally get pats on the back. But does it keep you from your family? Does it keep you from the Lord? Does it keep you from what God wants you to do? You have to know what is God telling you if it's a hindrance. If it's causing you to sin, find it out. What in your life is causing you to sin? No matter what it is, it's dragging you down and keeping you from the abundant life that Jesus has promised and wanted for each of us. Hindrances cause you to sin. What are they in your life? Then there's temptations. Temptations lead you to sins of commission. Something that's tempting you is tempting you to just flat out sin. If you give into it at all, there's no balance. If you give into it, you are sinning. It's drawing you to something that you should not be doing. That's a temptation. They're just outright sinful actions, attitudes, and thoughts. I think the Apostle John says it really well in 1 John chapter 2, verse 16. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And if you take those phrases, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, you boil it down to someone who never goes to church, this is what I tell them. Listen, there are things in the world that feel good, they look good, or they say you're good, and it's just sin. It's no good for you. It feels good temporarily. It looks good, but it doesn't belong to you. It says you're good, and it's making you proud. It's keeping you from God. It's drawing you away from them. That's temptation. Now, not all that feels good or looks good is actually bad. Not everything that encourages you is bad. And this is the tricky part of temptations. This is the tricky part of hindrances. God doesn't want to remove good from your life. The point is, what is drawing you away from God and causing you to sin, to pervert whatever's good? So think of some temptations. Sex. Do you know that every temptation is only appealing because it connects somehow to God's gift or God's design? God's design is amazing. The beauty, the way he created things. He designed us male and female. He designed us to be in marriage. It's so good. His gift of that conjugal right within a marriage, that is so good. But when you pervert it, when you use it in a way that God says don't use it, when, you, when it leads you to sin, Anything that takes a good thing from God and perverts it and uses it the wrong way is just an outright sin. That's temptation. So when Jesus begins this sermon, he's telling all of us, now, if what? If anything causes you to sin, if it's this, even if it's your own right hand, if it's your own right eye, no matter how cherished or valuable, no matter how important it is to you, it sounds extreme. What do you mean? If that, I can't get rid of that. 
if it causes you to sin, that's where Jesus begins his sermon. So the first step in battling against this in your life to have the abundant life is find it out. Find out what is causing you to sin. So what's causing you to sin? Identify it because you need to make sure you identify it because the next step is permanent. Step two is tear it out. You find it out and then you tear it out. Matthew chapter 5, verse 29. Now, if your right eye is causing you to sin, tear it out and throw it away from you. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body for than your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand is causing you to sin, cut it off and throw it away from you. Now, Jesus is not talking about amputation, and we're glad. And we know he's not because the sentence he spoke before is, sin starts in the heart. You can cut off both your hands. You can cut out both your eyes, but you can't cut out your heart. We are unrighteous in our dealings, and it starts in the heart. We already learned that last week. So he's not talking about amputation. He's using this hyperbole, extreme language, to make his point. No matter what it is in your life, tear it out. Remove it. Cut it off. Throw it away. Our sanctification requires sacrifice. Jesus is saying, preaching in his sermon, cut it out. Now, what does that look like to cut it out, to remove it? Well, the first step seems obvious. To remove it, you just have to stop doing it. Whatever's causing you to sin in your life, you have to put it away from your life. You have to cut it off, tear it away. Your sanctification, if you want to walk with Jesus, you have to be willing to sacrifice. You have to be willing to take up your cross daily and follow him. That's the whole idea behind discipleship. But it's not a bad sacrifice. It's not a wasted sacrifice. It's not that Jesus is actually wanting to take from you. He's actually wanting to give you something better. But he tells us, tear it out. If we're going to follow Jesus and have the abundant life, we can't go on living as if we never met him. So, let me ask you, what is causing you to sin? What is causing you to sin? Some of you are praying right now, thinking in your mind, and if you're anything like me, I know some of you are like, oh, no, it can't be that, right? How many of you already, don't, don't raise your hands. How many of you have already done that? What are the hindrances and temptations in your life? Whatever you first thought of, if your thought was, mm, not that though, buddy, that's it. I'm sorry. That's the thing. Whatever it is that you don't want to let go of, your hand, your eye, your foot, something so valuable, I can't live. Whatever it is, God is saying, that's it. Get it out of your life. And he uses the phrase, throw it away, meaning make sure that when you remove it, you can't go back to it. You know, it's one thing to tear something off and then put it in a drawer and then hide it for later. It, it's still accessible. I'm not going to sit sin now. I'm not going to go to it now, but, but man, if times get really tough and I really want it, I need it there. I need to have it still. That idea of throwing it away, Jesus is going deeper and said, get it so far away from you that you can't relapse. Cut it off, sever it, and get it as far from you as you can. Create distance between you and sin. Don't make it accessible. You know the verse, don't give the opportunity for sin. Don't give the opportunity for the devil. Whatever it is in your life, you have to completely get it, away, get it out of your life. Now, sometimes we say... We've gotten rid of sin and we're, we're lying. 
Now, we could be lying to ourselves, right? We're all weak. We have weaknesses. We were broken. But sometimes we leave the door cracked open a little bit. We don't truly want to get rid of something. Think about it. Maybe God has convicted you about screen time, something on your phone. There's an app on your phone. You need to delete it. You need to get it completely out of your life. Some of you, we talked last week about the news. Some of you watch the news too much. And you need to figure out a way to throw it away, to create real distance so you can't just go every time you fiend for it, you just go right back to it. If it's an app, delete it. Do you know that phone? And I know some of this is not just for young people. I know you older people, even though you tell me, oh, I'm technologically uh, disabled and, and I just don't know how to use it and do, I don't even know how to use it. I've seen you with your big iPads, right? With the big words, with Facebook, with your grandkids' pictures on it, with your games, Candy Crush or Corn or whatever it is. I've seen you with that. I know that some of you have devices and you read the news on it, you watch the news, you watch YouTube, you're on Facebook, whatever it is, you haven't thrown it away. You haven't got it completely out of your life. And that's what Jesus is saying. Tear it out and throw it away. If that's not enough, if a phone restriction is not enough, I know you, some of you won't be able to do it, but your grandkids can. You can actually create restrictions on your phone to where it will limit how much time you could be on social media or any app on your phone. You can limit the time on your phone. And God wants you to throw it away. He wants you to, to make it that I can't go back to that thing. For some of you younger guys, a dumb phone is a smart idea. Some of you younger guys need one of those dumb flip phones or cheaper phones that you can't get on there and look at whatever you want in the night and when you're alone. Whatever it is, God wants you to tear it out. So tear it out means remove it, really remove it. It also means that you're going to have to adapt to a new way of life. Have you ever decided one day, like, I need this out of my life. This is a temptation. This is a hindrance. I want to get rid of it. And you make that bold move of faith, and you're like, I'm going to get rid of it. And you get rid of it. Like, let's say it's TV. I'm going to stop watching TV for so long at night. I'm just going to quit doing that. And you decide, I'm not going to go to that every night. Well, then what do you do at 9 o'clock at night? You kind of pace the kitchen. You kind of go back and forth. I don't know what to do. And then you end up doing another sin. There's some other temptation. There's some other hindrance. Whenever you remove something from your life, you need to replace it. You can't just remove some hindrance and temptation and not have a battle plan of something else that you're going to put in that time. I can't tell you how many times where I've decided I'm not going to give into this in my life and I don't, and then I walk in the kitchen and I open the fridge and I shut it and I walk out and then I walk back in the kitchen and I open the fridge. Courtney's told me so many times, oh, you're not going to find it in there. She knows I'm talking about something else. I'm not looking for food. I'm looking for comfort. I'm wanting something that's going to satisfy me because I, what else am I going to do with my time? Whatever hindrance or temptation you remove from your life, you're going to have to replace it with something godly, something that God wants to do in your life. So don't just remove it, but replace it. Um, tearing it out also means creating accountability. You remove it from your life, you get as far away from you you can, you replace it with something different, and then you create accountability. This is why we need one another. We need Christian brothers and sisters who will encourage us and pray with us. We need to confess our sins with one another. There's not enough of that going on. We're too busy and we're too secret. But we need one another. We need to lean on one another. 
I have a few questions that I've invited uh, some Christian men, the pastors in the church, to ask me. And I thought I'd share them with you. I'll just read them through. You may not be able to read them. Here's some questions that I want other Christian men to ask me on a regular basis. Question number one. Have you spent daily time in Bible reading, memorization, and prayer? Have you spent daily time in this? Are you giving your time to this? Number two, have you spoken and shown love and understanding to your wife this past week? God has already called me to be a husband and to love my wife as Christ loved the church. Am I doing this? Am I showing it and speaking it? Have you had any flirtatious, lustful, or tempting thoughts, actions, or attitudes, or exposed yourself to any explicit material that would not glorify God? And I want someone to ask me that. I don't want to just bury it down. I don't want to go unaccountable. I want, I want to be accountable, and I want to be honest and open. Question number five, have you taken care of your body through daily physical exercise, proper eating, and adequate sleep? I know that's what God wants for me. To not do these things would create hindrances in my life that will keep me from what God wants. Have you put your entire heart into your work as if you were working for Jesus? Have you been completely above reproach in your financial dealings and downtime? I found with me, it is easier for me to use money the way that God designed me to, but not downtime. I struggle with downtime. I will use my money the way God wants me. I will try to be a good steward. Dave Ramsey, awesome. Love those principles, godly principles. I'm completely debt-free except for my mortgage. But when it comes to my free time, I am like a three-year-old kid. I am so weak. I need so much help from God. I'm still growing in that area. Have you been completely above reproach in your financial dealings and downtime? Have you shared the gospel with an unbeliever this week? Acts 1.8. Jesus didn't say, you know, there's a chance that some of you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the other uttermost parts of the world. He said, you will be my witnesses. You are going to be my witnesses. You are going to be the salt and the light of the world. The salt of the earth, the light of the world, you will be my ambassadors, my ministers of reconciliation, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. You will be a new creation. You will bear my image and you will reflect my image, which is kind of the way to describe glorifying God. To glorify God just means to reflect him to him and to others. You will be my witnesses. Are we? Have I shared the gospel with an unbeliever this week? In nine, have you been 100% honest about all of your answers today? It's my favorite question. If you lie, you're going to have to lie twice. I want to be open and honest with the Holy Spirit because He loves me and I'm in a loving relationship with Him, but I also need relationships with other Christian men. I want to be honest with them too. I want to be forced to answer these questions. Now, you can be honest with others, you can admit your sins, and that will not transform your heart unless you're willing to give that back to God. You have to be willing to grow in your relationship with Him. You know, the Pharisees... I don't know, they're a bad example. They didn't really confess truly. But do you know, you could admit that you're wrong and not change. You can say, I'm wrong in this, and never change. You need more than accountability. You need a loving relationship with God. You need to know that God looks down on you, and when you confess your sins, it doesn't stop His love for you, not one bit. That God desires a relationship with you even still. 
That's why I love the, the Christian men that will ask me these questions. Because I can tell them the truth. No, I haven't done that. And they don't judge me. It's not legalism. I'm not trying to perform. I'm not trying to check off a box. And they love me so much, they will encourage me and spur me on. They'll pray for me. Let's pray. That's not what God designed you to do. God designed you for so much better. Jack, the new creation that you are is so much more than, what, than giving into those sins. So to tear it out, we have to remove it, replace it, and create a healthy accountability between us and the Holy Spirit and us and others. So find it out, tear it out. Number three, and this is actually the hardest part, believe Jesus' promise. Believe what he says. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 29, let me read it again for you. Now, if your right eye is causing you to sin, tear it out and throw it away from you, for it is better for you. Three Greek words, six English words, the hardest words in this passage to accept. Any of us can cut off a hand. But do you truly believe that it's better for you? It is better for you. It's better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand is causing you to sin, cut it off and throw it away from you. Find it out, tear it out, for it is better for you. It is better for you. I was preparing for this message a couple weeks ago. Not recent. No, it, it's been a while. And uh, I knew that God was telling me in his still small voice, Jack, I want you to get this out of your life. There was something in my life he wanted to get rid of. It was a hindrance. It became a temptation. I want you to get this out of your life. Now, I don't really want to tell you. It's a little embarrassing. Not too much. I don't care what you think of me in a lot of ways. Uh, and I kind of have that reputation. It's actually true. I really don't. It's a video game. I'm one of those newer generations. I, I love video games. I've even questioned God before. Why is this my thing? Why do I enjoy this so much? Why does this give me so much satisfaction? I wonder and hope if it's so that I can reach the next generation's understanding the pool and the gravity, but I don't know. But it was a video game. That's a little embarrassing. Your lead pastor giving some of his time at night to video games. Would I lose your respect? Maybe. Why would I give into that? That's not as embarrassing as the next part. I knew that God wanted me to get rid of a particular video game, and it took five days for me to get rid of it. That's what's truly embarrassing. I knew that God was calling me to tear this out of my life, that it was distracting me, it was a hindrance for me. And I wrestled and I questioned, God, I don't want to get rid of this. I wouldn't tell Courtney. Don't tell your spouse if you're supposed to get rid of something. No, don't do that. Unless you're ready to get rid of it that day, whether you like it or not, kicking and screaming, don't, it will become a pee under the mattress. So I didn't want to tell Courtney because I knew I would have to get rid of it. I didn't tell Pastor Kyle or Pastor Will, Pastor Sean. I didn't want to tell them. I held on to it for five days. The first few days, I wouldn't play the game, and that was kind of like my self-justification. Oh, I'm not playing it anymore. I'm not, play I'm not playing it too much. I'm not, I'm not going to it. And it just ate at me. Eventually, I was driving in my 
embarrassing cobalt right here, Newton. And I was in the car, and I actually said these words, and I meant them. I said, God, I'm not worth your time. As much as you've loved me, as much as you've given to me, riches beyond riches, grace upon grace, I'm more than a conqueror. I have an inheritance that cannot be taken away from me. I have a relationship that will never end. I have a love that will never, ever, 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 ever stop. And I traded Jesus in for a video game. I didn't want to get rid of it. It was so embarrassing. I didn't even want to tell my boys. What kind of boys want to hear that their father would not get rid of a dumb game to follow Jesus. And finally on the fifth day, after I worked through, this is it. This is what God's telling me. I don't want to get rid of it. I shouldn't have to get it. It's not a sin, but you know what? It's killing me. I finally got rid of it, broke it, right there and then, tore it up with pliers. And I'll tell you what, as much as that freed me up, why would I trade the joy that I have with Jesus for a game that now I couldn't care less about. It doesn't mean anything to me, and I knew it wouldn't. I knew it wouldn't after I got rid of it. I knew I would grieve for a couple days. I'd pout for a couple days. I'd be, I need to replace it for a couple days. I knew that this, other things have been like this in my life, and I just had to get rid of it. And so it made me wonder, How many of my hundreds of brothers and sisters out there have hindrances and temptations that they desperately don't want to let go of and cut off and remove from their lives? I know it's something. I'm going to look back at Mark's Mark's passage in Mark chapter 9. I want to read more of what Jesus preached. He said, and if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. And here's Jesus' sermon. It is better for you to enter life maimed than having your two hands to go into hell into the unquenchable fire. Do you believe that? Who believes that? A maimed life is better than a sinner's death? It's better to live my whole life without pleasure and convenience to be handicapped, disabled, to go without, to be under, to be on the bottom Jesus' sermon, he preaches, Jack, that's better. It's better to let go of those things and to suffer. It's better to suffer than to sin. Pain is better than a life of sin. It's better for you to enter life maimed. And if your foot is causing you to sin, cut it off. It's better, to you to, it's better for you to enter life without a foot, or maybe your translation says, it's better for you to enter life lame than having your two feet to be thrown into hell. A crippled life is better than a sinful life. This third point is what finally broke me with that dumb video game. I realized sitting there in my quiet time, the Holy Spirit doesn't let me get away with anything. I can't, get, I can't even get a truck. I can't do nothing. He loves me too much. He will not let me get away with anything because he loves me. And I sat there and I realized I don't have faith in Jesus. 
I'm not believing his word. I, I believed my life would be better with the video game. I really did. And when Jesus said, get rid of it, I thought, mm, that's probably someone else. That's not him. <laughs> then when I knew it was him, nah, not everybody has to get rid of you. I mean, he's not a sin in itself. And I played the hindrance game where you pretend that a hindrance is not a hindrance. I went through every excuse in the book. I'm stressed. I need a way out. I need some downtime, right? And finally, I realized the problem isn't the video game. The problem is my faith. I had to believe that it is better, that my life with him is better than holding on to whatever is causing me to sin. Jesus makes it crystal clear. It is better for us to struggle and sacrifice than to sin. It's better to go without pleasure and convenience than live our whole lives holding, it on, holding on to whatever causes us to sin. It's better to live without it than to die with it. What do you want to die with that Jesus wants you to live without? What are you holding on to? Whatever's causing you to sin, tear it out. The irony is we're only sabotaging our own joy when we choose sin over God. I chose sin over God because I didn't believe those six words. It wasn't until I finally had faith, Jesus, you say it's better, it'll be better. And I got rid of it. And guess what? It didn't feel better right away. I felt free in a cool way. It wasn't until days later where I finally dropped to my knees and said, my life is so much better with you than with all these other things. It is better. And you know what I realized? That I want you, I pray that you get this. Do you think Jesus was trying to take something from me? You think he was trying to steal from me? You think he was trying to kill joy? You think he was trying to destroy my life? No. That's what the enemy does. Whatever is causing you to sin, that's the enemy in John chapter 10. It's not just talking about Satan. Most people take John 10 as talking about Satan. It's not. It's talking about anything that causes you to sin. It only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what it is that was happening in my life. And I was under a lie that it was the opposite. And I finally was able to throw up my hands to Jesus. You weren't trying to take from me. You were trying to give to me. A holy life is not an easy life. You can have a holy life or an easy life, but you can't have both. And whatever, God, whatever is causing you to sin, I know this is an intense sermon. This is not, this, you're not jumping out of here skipping, okay? I know that. Some of you are upset with me because you know whatever it is that's coming to mind, that's the thing. And you love it. And you've created a shrine in your own heart for it. And it's too valuable to you. It's too cherished. It would be like cutting off your hand. You feel like you can't live without it. His sermon to me is the same sermon to you. Jesus offers you an abundant life of joy and your life will be better without it than with it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the joy that is found only in you. Thank you for the good news that you came to forgive us of our sins and everything that's weighing us down one day will be removed and we will have a new heavens and new earth to enjoy our relationship with you. I pray for my brothers and sisters would you help them identify and find out whatever it is that's causing them to sin? Would you give them the conviction and the courage, the power of your spirit to tear it out of their lives? We know that your promise is better, so we pray that you'd make that clear to us. We love you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.